Called the podcast for tennis shoes, man. What a terrible name for the show. It's worse than the theme song. Hello, and welcome to the podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we watch and rank all 1,822 movies on Disney Plus. My name is Sean, and I am here with my two co-hosts, Bob and Rob and Rob. How are you doing in the last five minutes since I talked to you last? Since the last five minutes, little secret, I went to the washroom. Thanks for asking, Sean. Um, you're very welcome. Bob, and you're doing okay, too? You you were doing well five minutes ago? You're still doing well? I was doing well five minutes ago. I wasn't. Now that you spoiled the magic and revealed that we're recording these back-to-back, I can't make the joke of, I'm doing good. I'm standing on the back of Benedict Cumberbatch. He's caught like a pterodactyl, and things are going <laughs> fantastic. All right, listeners, so just to explain, this is the second part of a two-part series where we are talking about both Pete's Dragons movies. Last episode, we talked about Pete's Dragon 1977. This episode, we're talking about Pete's Dragon 2016. And the reason we're recording these back-to-back on the same day is because Bob has to jet off to go shoot a movie in some undisclosed location. We're not allowed to know what it is. I'm assuming it's Avatar 3. I'm assuming that Bob is motion-capturing playing the Panther. And Benedict Cumberbatch's motion capturing playing the Derodactyl, and Bob's going to ride him around for a few weeks. But while he's gone, we've banked a few episodes, and we're still going to try to keep releasing these weekly. Yeah. We don't want to disappoint you, listener. We love you so much. Sean, how are you doing in the past five minutes? Uh, you know what? I had a lot of fun talking about Pete's Dragon 1977. A lot more fun than I had watching Pete's Dragon 1977. Uh, so <laughs> we'll see if that can continue going into this episode. Uh, spoiler alert, I had more fun watching Pete's Dragon 2016 than I had watching Pete's Dragon 1977. So that bar is a bit higher, but we'll see if we can meet it and surpass it anyway. So Bobby... Last night, uh, you said you hadn't finished watching Pete's Dragon 2016. Did you watch it last night after 11 p.m. or did you wake up early this morning and watch it? Oh, I woke up early this morning before my wife was out of bed and I, I watched it. All right. So you are fresh, fresh on this film. Yeah. Brand new. And you hadn't seen it before, right? No, I had not seen this before. My interest was peaked on this based on Kevin... What, what's Corcoran, the... the original star of Pete's Dragon, 1958. <laughs> yeah, also known as Moochie's Dragon. <laughs> Sorry, what's the, the director's name? It slipped my mind. I had it. Oh, it's David, David Lowry. Lowry. David Lowry. Lowry. Okay. Mike Lowry. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. David Lowry. <laughs> when Manchester by the Sea had come out, uh, I wanted a bit of a Casey Affleck fleck. I don't know. <laughs> I was watching a couple of his movies, and I wanted to watch a ghost story. And so, and then I'd read about, like, David Lowry had used the money he made from filming this remake to, and he put all that money into a ghost story. So it was always kind of on my radar. Mm-hmm. Especially reading some of the reviews of people being like, wow, hey, surprise, this movie was kind of good. Now, Rob, you had seen this movie before, right? Yes. I had seen this film. I think actually, like, we still had some local video rental stores in our town. In 2016? Yep. 
Oh, well, you are in Saskatchewan, which yeah. sits about 10 years behind the rest of the world. Pretty so. sure that I rented it on Blu-ray and watched it shortly after it came out. Um, hmm. I think at your suggestion, Sean, because I know you had seen it before and said that it was awesome. So I'd seen it once before, and I remembered liking it. I went to the theaters to see this uh, because the reviews were quite strong. And I was a fan of David Lowry. Um, he made Ain't Them Body Saints with Casey Affleck. Uh, that was his big breakout picture. Uh, then, like you said, Bob, he went on to do a ghost story after this. He also did The Old Man and the Gun with Robert Redford. And he did The Green Knight most recently, which I kind of think is a masterpiece. And I highly recommend people check out The Green Knight. I fucking love that film. Part of the tie-in of this film is that his newest film is Peter Pan and Wendy going oh, really? straight to Disney Plus on April 28th, which, spoiler alert, is about when the listeners should be listening to this. Um, so that's either just come out or is about to come out for you. Hopefully it's as good as the rest of his films because he's he kind of only shoots strikes, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I like that he seems to have in his Disney contract that he'll only make movies about characters named Pete. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, just wait for the prequel to a goofy movie where you found out how Pete got to where he is in his life. <laughs> His live-action Pete film? Don't tell me watching Casey Affleck as Pete. Oh, my God. You, you were in. <laughs> Casey Affleck as Pete. Post-divorce. It's like I didn't I didn't treat my wife well. She took Pistol. Now it's just me and PJ. <laughs> played by Jonah Hill. PJ's played by Jonah Hill. Okay, I'm there opening weekend. Okay, so then who plays Max and who plays Goofer J. Goof? They're not there. This is the Pete story. This is Pete and PJ in the woods camping, finding themselves. Oh, so it's gorgeously shot yeah. because it's yes. David Lowry again. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, tune in next year <laughs> for David Lowry's next film, Pete. It's just called Pete. Let's talk about the cast. The movie stars Bryce Dallas Howard as Grace Meacham. Although it's a remake of Pete's Dragon 1977, it doesn't carry over any of the characters or plot. Thank God. With the exception of Pete and Elliot. I'd say it's like, it's a reimagining. You could use yeah. that word on this one. A lot of the characters do take the same kind of surrogate position as the 1977 yeah. characters. Bryce Dallas Howard's Grace character kind of fills the position of Helen Reedy's Nora. Um, and then we get Robert Redford as Grace's father, Conrad Meacham, who sort of plays the position of Mickey Rooney. Not not of Lampy, but of Mickey Rooney. He kind of plays Mickey Rooney. <laughs> In this film, the actor Oakes Fegley plays Pete. Wes Bentley, bag boy from American Beauty, plays... I wrote down... <laughs> My character. Oh my god! I wrote plastic bag boy. Sure has a nice beard. <laughs> the bag boy plays Jack McGarry, who is the fiance of Grace Meacham. Paul, no longer lost at sea. <laughs> yeah. Carl Urban, the great Carl Urban. I love Carl Urban. He plays love him. Gavin McGarry. He is the brother of Bryce Dallas Howard's fiance. He's sort of the villain in this. Sort of. Sort of. Sort of. Sort of. And then we get Una Lawrence plays uh, Natalie McGarry, who is the son of Bag Boy, or sorry, the daughter of Bag Boy. <laughs> John Kaser is the voice of Elliot in this one, also known as the voice of the Crypt Keeper and the current voice of Scrooge McDuck. Bag Boy's never going to get old. I'm sorry to anybody listening to this podcast. Uh, I will be laughing at that every time it comes up. I'm sorry. Bob, how does this movie start? With my favorite thing in the entire world, a drone shot. 
There's lots of drone shots in this movie, but this is right when drones were kind of new and they suddenly realized you didn't need to get helicopters, you didn't need cranes, you could just get a drone. They're all good. It's just something I notice now because I find in most modern things, drone shots are overused because they're easy to get. Oh, we should watch Ambulance then because <laughs> that movie is entirely just shot on drones. And apparently the camera work is kind of fantastic in it. Now I want to watch that with you, Bobby. What I liked about the intro to this film as a remake or a reimagining, whatever word you want to use, is right out of the gate it lets you know, like, no, we're telling the same story differently. This is not the other movie you'd watched. Yeah. It is, you see a young Pete on the trip with his family. So you get his backstory of who he is, what he was doing, up to the point of where his life suddenly changes and he can't, and everything becomes different for him. And his father and his mother are in the front and they say to him, like, you're the bravest boy we know, and then his father promptly almost murders all of them, swerving out of their way to avoid hitting a CG deer in the middle of the road. The other thing to note is that it opens with Pete reading a children's book in the back seat called Elliot Gets Lost, Mm -hmm. and he's sounding out the words, and he says, this is a story about a dog, which it is, because it's not really Pete's dragon, it's Pete's puppy with wings. Mm -hmm. He's asking his mother what an adventure is because the lost little dog in his book is going on an adventure. And his mother says, an adventure is what we're on and you have to be brave to go on an adventure. And then they get in a car accident and Pete is promptly orphaned. Yeah. Yeah. Very fast. It's a fucking sad opening. So there is another interpretation of this entire film. And that is Pete is dying at the same time, and this is a Jacob's Ladder situation where he's just imagining all of this as his final moments, his brain is synapsing, firing, and the movie doesn't actually exist. I think that explanation works better for Pete's Dragon 1977, where the whole film is just a drunken hallucination of Mickey Rooney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's actually the main character. But the whole movie takes place at that moment where Nora pokes her head in the window and says, has anyone seen my father? And they point to him down on the floor. At that moment, the whole movie is taking place in his drunken brain. The the dragon is a metaphor for his guilt that follows him around and stalks him as he murdered her fiancé. And his fever dream ends with the fiancé coming back. Oh, he's he's constantly chasing the dragon. Yeah. There you go. All right. Yeah. Okay. So never mind. Pete's Dragon 77 now just became number one on my list. <laughs> so not only was Pete promptly orphaned, but now he is chased by... Wolves. Wolves yeah. in the forest. His day went from bad to worse. That thing that wolves, like, don't really do. Bother humans. Well, but he's a delicious little boy. That They're paying homage to Pete's Dragon 1977. Where <laughs> right, 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 right. Pete right. is delicious and everyone wants to eat Pete. <laughs> so the surrogate for the gor- Gorgons... Are the wolves. The first movie, or the wolves, yeah. <laughs> Both movies open with Pete being chased into the forest by something that wants to eat him. It yes. makes more sense in this movie. At least you're like, well, wolves might actually yeah. eat him. I understand their motivations. Maybe it is a shot-for-shot remake now that I think about it. <laughs> Uh, and so just like as Pete is saved from the ravenous Gogans, um, Pete in this movie is saved from the ravenous wolves by the invisible titular dragon who comes through the woods, scares off the wolves, and befriends little Pete in what is genuinely a gorgeous fucking shot of light gorgeous. streaming through the trees as a semi-transparent dragon slowly steps towards a tiny little boy at the bottom of the frame. And I'm just like... 
fuck, this movie looks good. I have the the comment, fuck yeah, this opening is pretty good. It, yeah, as you say, it's the same, but not. You're going to hear the same story told differently, and in my opinion, it's like, you're going to hear the same story, but told well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I am so happy that they just were like, okay, what are the two aspects that we need to take from this? Besides the wolves being the surrogates for the evil stepfamily? Well, yeah, um, that's one of the aspects. What do we have to take from this? The Gogans, yeah, who are wolves, yeah. and... Uh, and that there's a little boy and a dragon. That's like the only thing they took. Well, and David Lowry learned his lesson. As you said, he was like, except the Gogan should have not come back after the first act and you never see the wolves again. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And then you're treated to the opening score of the song written by uh, William Oldman, also known as Bonnie Prince Billy, who I am actually a massive fan of. Oh, cool. I really like his music, and that was actually a selling point on me wanting to see a ghost story, because I know he'd done the music in that. He's also in a ghost story. He plays the sheet? He does not play the sheet. Um, And his backstory is actually interesting, too, where I had read that he had initially moved to Hollywood to try and be an actor, and he had a few minor roles here and there, but he'd become very disillusioned with it, and so instead focused on his music, and I, I'm a big fan of all of his stuff. Um, Some of it's really weird and different, but I really like it, and so I was interested. I was like, oh, man, like, Bonnie Prince Billy is making some, like, Disney money. Hmm. And what I thought was a cool use of this song in the storytelling of the film is it's not just the opening song of the movie. It's a song that exists within the world of the film. This was written right? by someone local, which is why they're playing it on the radio. And they mentioned that people talk about the song. It's playing on people's radios. And I was like, oh, that's really cool that it doesn't get done very often and nor is it done well. Like it actually works within that it's like based around the lore. And you as the audience then hear that, no, the Millhaven Dragon is a local folktale. I loved it. It works so well. Like the world building of this, uh, it's like the theme song they play at the beginning over the credits but it's like it ties in thematically to the the movie and the characters it's so good the other thing it does is it slowly transitions you out of pete's dragon 1977 into something that isn't pete's dragon 1977 like we open with the gogan wolves and watching it for the first time if you knew pete's dragon which is a musical that has all of the songs ever written in it you might go into this being like is this a musical and then you hear this and you're like it kind of is a musical this is an original song Song. But no, we're not we're not gonna spend this whole thing dancing on beer barrels, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. And then as you get a montage that introduces you to this town, it takes place in the Pacific Northwest, so it's the opposite side of the country, because David Lowry is like, How far away from Pete's Dragon 1977 can I get? <laughs> the other fucking side of the country. Mm-hmm. It's shot in New Zealand, which is kind of obvious because you're like, oh, there's no place in North America that looks this beautiful. I think it's supposed to be either like northeastern Washington or or maybe like the panhandle of Idaho, which I think is funny because throughout the entire movie, they're just like, oh, the dragons come from the north where nobody lives. And I'm like, that sounds like Canada. Yeah. (laughs) What's north of this place? Canada, where there's nobody but dragons. If uh, if we're talking about like how gorgeous everything looks, uh, I wanted to comment. I really dug the aesthetic and the production design, not just of the forest, because the forest is gorgeous. Like, hands down, beautiful. But like, there's something kind of nostalgic about it. All of the roads are perfect and freshly painted. The town looks kind of pristine in some shots. Like, it's this very idealized version of this small town Mm -hmm. that I thought was like, it really played into everything kind of like the forest is beautiful and glowing. And the town just kind of has this very nice sheen to it at the same time. Like, it's a fairy tale. And I thought it it all played really well. There's that shot of the house where um, Bag Boy and his family live. And it's just like these soft, glowing yellow lights. And it looks mm-hmm. so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I dug 
all the production design, the cinematography, everything. I love the look of this film. The one note that I have, we might be going through this relatively quickly because after watching this film, I was like, there's not a huge amount of plot in this adaptation of Pete's Dragon. This movie is like mostly vibes. This is a vibe-heavy movie. It is. And after 12 hours and 700 songs, I was very <laughs> relieved to be like, oh, this is just some like nice, feel-good vibes. Yeah. And I'm totally down with it. That is not a criticism yeah. in any way. It's almost the opposite where, like, had this movie actually been a little bit longer, like, I probably would have been okay with it, too. Yeah. It's like 90 minutes or something crazy. Yeah, it's pretty short. It's in and out. It's hour one, 147. We're listening to the song on the radio, and then we start getting some narration by Robert Redford shows up in this Robert movie. Robert fucking Redford. <laughs> He's really good in this movie, too. He's so fucking good. Well, he had to hit the Mickey Rooney bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're playing similar characters, and in 1977, I was like, wow, Mickey Rooney's really good at acting. And yeah. then my note for this one is like, wow, Robert Redford's really good at acting, with like an extra exclamation point. Yeah. Because he's so fucking good just doing the opening narration you're like no wonder this guy was elected president for 30 years in the watchman universe <laughs> there's a scene later on we're skipping ahead a little bit where he's telling uh bryce dallas howard again bryce dallas howard's in this movie fuck he's telling her about the time that he actually saw the dragon mm -hmm. and the monologue that he gives written on the paper is pretty dumb like it's a tough scene to sell right like yeah and i was like that's why they got Robert Redford to do it. That's why they hired him, because he sells it. And you're like, this is some silly business with him being like, oh, I see the magic all around me, right? But he sells it so convincingly. It's great. On the screen, like, that could have been his, like, Oscar scene. When, like, at the Oscars, they're like, and Robert Redford for Pete's Dragon is nominated. And then that's the clip they show. Like, yeah. you know, it's really good. He's talking about literal magic, and he's talking about magic as a metaphor for just the way he sees the world. And you, he's looking his daughter in the face as he says it. And he just says, I saw the world differently ever since then, and, like, I believe in magic. And you're like, Jesus Christ, that's beautiful. But a lesser actor wouldn't have been able to convey that, I think. Which is, like, 99% of actors. That's why he's Robert Redford. <laughs> Isn't he also in the Sundance Kid that we were just talking about? Yes, he yes. is. Yeah. He's the Sundance Kid. <laughs> yeah. Not the raindrop scene, though. He wasn't part of that. And if you want to get that reference, go listen to our Pete's Dragon 1977 Part 1 episode listener. Speaking of Bryce Dallas Howard, Rob, I like Bryce Dallas Howard. I think she's great in her first major film performance, Lady in the Water. That's a fucked up weird movie, but she's amazing in it. Yep. I feel like her career as an actor is overshadowed by the Jurassic World series, which are A, terrible, and B, she is terrible in them. No criticism to her, because everything about those movies are terrible. But watching this movie, again, I was reminded, I was like, oh yeah, Bryce Dallas Howard's a really good actor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just those fucking Jurassic World movies that keep <laughs> making me forget that. <laughs> she gotta get a paycheck, so no no fault in her. Someone like her, like, she's, she grew up in the business. Her dad's fucking Ron Howard. Her uncle is Clint Howard. <laughs> how you had to shudder a tiny bit before you said that. No criticism to Clint Howard. Clint Howard's awesome. Go watch the movie Evil Speak. Clint Howard is fucking awesome in that movie. Yeah. There's no bad performances in this movie. Everybody is good in it. Especially coming to the other titular character, Oakes Fegley is, as Pete is fucking amazing. Robert Redford at this point, so he's giving the narration of the story of the Millhaven Dragon. Yeah. And he's telling it to all the kids as if this like spooky story of like, you have to watch out for the dragon because I've seen him. Which 
which you're kind of meant to take that like, oh, it's just grandpa telling local folklore like story to kids. Like little does anyone realize he has an entire conspiracy room with threads pointed to every possible place he might have seen the dragon. And since retirement has done nothing but focus on this dragon. <laughs> with good reason. He's right. Yeah. There is a dragon. Yeah. yeah. And then we're also reintroduced to Pete and Elliot as we cut back to them running through the forest and having a grand old time without anyone to get in their way. They're just frolicking through the 100-acre wood, essentially. Every childhood's fantasy. So I watched Pete's Dragon, Alcoholics and Cannibals, uh, and then I immediately put on Pete's Dragon 2016. I realized I had to turn it off right away because I was like, oh, I'm not taking notes. I'm just watching this movie. I, I am using this as a palate cleanser from the terrible movie I just watched. And so I was like, I gotta stop. I gotta watch something different because I can't not... I gotta watch this critically and take notes because this movie just like, as you said, it's vibes. I just was vibing with this thing and I was totally into it. This scene of them just flying around, you get to see kind of like what their daily life is. They're flying through the air. They're running through streams. They're having standoffs with bears. Really cool. So I do want to say something about this sequence. As they're running through the woods, one of the big kind of like visually climactic moments of the sequence is that Pete runs towards a cliff, jumps off the cliff, and then Elliot follows him, flies over the cliff, and then catches him because this is like a, a routine that they do all the time. Pete jumps off a cliff and then Elliot catches him and he goes, woohoo, this is so much fun. This is the best. The scene is basically the same shot from the rescuers down under. Yes. <laughs> to tie back into the rescuers. And then I thought about how this movie is basically the same plot as the rescuers down under, which means Pete's Dragon 1977 is a remake of the rescuers and Pete's Dragon 2016 is a remake of the rescuers down under for some reason. The villain in the rescuers down under is Australian because it takes place down under and Carl Urban is the hunter in this. This shit adds up. And it was shot in New Zealand, so this is Pete's Dragon down under. <laughs> so what happens next, Rob? Um, what happens next? What does happen next? As I said, this is vibing. <laughs> like I said, it's all vibes. It's hard to even like describe the plot. Let me go back to my notes. Um, oh yes, this was the part where I was vibing and not taking notes. Uh, <laughs> so Bryce House Howard goes to her dad, says, don't scare him too much. She goes off into the woods. Uh, she's like a conservation officer and she's checking on yeah. some animals that are in trees because Carl Urban and actually her partner, her boyfriend in the film. Her fiancé, yeah. Fiancé, bag boy. They work for a logging company. They own a logging company. I think it's theirs. Yes, sorry. They own the logging company. Uh, and the loggers have marked trees to be cut down. She goes and she says, oh, no, you can't because there's like owls and birds living in these ones, so don't cut down these ones. She's an animal lover. Yeah, exactly. She's also a park ranger, so that's her job. Pete sees her from a distance and uh, steals her compass. Steals her compass from the bag, which looks quite interesting. He doesn't really know what it is, I don't think. No. The plot point here is sort of relevant because this is 50 miles away from their home. And it's because yeah. they had just been flying around and having a whole bunch of rescuers down under style fun. So they're far away from home. They see her. He steals her compass. She leaves and goes back home. Then they go back to their house and they have a grand old time and talk to each other. And then the dragon looks north for a while 
And he's like, because he's reading the book about uh, going the adventure with the family, right? Yeah. And so the dragons are like, because he has his own second family. He's like Paul from Pete's Dragon 1977. The clever aspect of this story is that Elliot's story mirrors Pete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where he got lost from his family and is on his own, which is why he has a connection with Pete and why he looks after him. And that strengthens the relationship between the two. I will say another thing, another clever thing they did was make Elliot into a puppy. Yeah. Like he's this giant dog. Looks gorgeous. I will say the CGI on Elliot is amazing. It's fantastic. I didn't see one shot where I was like, I don't buy that. Like, I didn't even think about it. But he never speaks. He just kind of, it's all looks and noises and vibes, as we keep saying. Yeah. He speaks like Elliot language in the Pete's Dragon 1977. Yeah. Which is supposed to be a language that only Pete understands. Whereas in this movie, he doesn't speak. Like, he's a dog. Yeah, he's a dog. Yeah. When you have that connection with the animal, you don't speak each other's language, but you know what each other is saying. And like, that's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the connection they have in this film, and it's quite nice. The one moment that kind of took me out of the movie for a second is everyone is talking about, like, oh, well, you know, there's the myth of a dragon, and I'm the only one that's ever seen it. Cuts to a shot of Pete riding Elliot as high as he possibly can above the trees, yeah. and I was like, <laughs> okay, no, nobody, okay, okay, I'll let this go. It's fine. It's a beautiful shot. Yeah, but they're in Canada at that point. Okay, fair enough. N- nobody lives in Canada. Yeah, that's true. You heard Robert Redford. Nobody lives up north. Yeah. What happens next, Rob? Uh, they wake up the next morning uh, to sounds of chainsaws and whatnot because is Carl Urban, the villain, he decides to chop down a bunch of these trees because uh, they need a big score. Yeah. What they've already done is they've already gone and they've pre-marked trees they're going to cut down, yeah. which is a thing they do. But Bag Boy has a line to a Bag Brother where he says, you're always jumping the gun and cutting ahead. Like, if you keep cutting these down, we're not gonna have anything to cut down later like i've been to some logging towns on the west coast like when i used to live on vancouver island and like that industry died and went away the more they started exporting more of it and like there were logging towns but as soon as a lot of the mills closed a lot of these towns like kind of lost everything and because this is set in this like kind of golden arrow and like these towns were still doing well i was like no it's like i feel like this was a specific choice to like set this in the town before any of this happened or maybe as it's like starting to happen they decided to chop trees down specifically right where ellie and Pete live. But it's, it's even stranger because it seems like this is the first time that Elliot has noticed a, another human being. But there's a fucking road. They built a road to, like, right beside his house. The other plot contrivance to go with that scene is later is, like, Bryce Dallas Howard is like, well, I've never been to this part of the forest. And I'm like, I thought you knew them, like, the back of your hand. And it's also right? your literal job to know this forest. <laughs> <laughs> Again, yeah. it's mostly vibes. Just ignore that. So they start uh, chopping down some trees, don't they? Yeah, and Bag Boy has brought his daughter and Bryce Dallas Howard is there because Carl Urban has jumped the gun and everyone's a little bit, why are you chopping this? You shouldn't be here soon. So everyone is kind of there. And Bag Boy's daughter sees Pete in the woods who's watching and is like, what the hell is all this shit? And so she runs into the woods. She's like, there's a fucking little boy in there. She's magic for a moment. She senses uh, Pete. (laughs) Did did you not pay attention to anything Robert Redford said? There's There's magic magic in the the forest. Alrighty then. (laughs) So she goes and she meets Pete and they kind of just play for a while like kids do. They climb up a tree. She falls out of the tree. She skins her knee. She cries out. Her parents come running and they're like, what's up? Are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I guess so. And there's that little scary boy over there. And Bryce Dallas Howard is like, what the fuck? I've never seen a boy in these woods. This is highly irregular. (laughs) Pete tries to run away, but he falls and hits his head. And so they take Pete to the hospital. But you mean he he falls and hits his head. You mean Carl Urban throws him to the ground and he hits his head. 
So I made this note right here, and I was like, why is Carl Urban the bad guy? Because I really like Carl Urban. Like, he's awesome. We all love Carl Urban. He's the bad guy, but he's also kind of nice, because he's like, hey, buddy, you gotta get down from there. Why are you running away? You're gonna hurt yourself. And then by doing that, hurts What Pete. I kind of got from him is, because in the end, you see he isn't a bad guy. But like I said, this whole being sent in a logging town, and he's like, we really need this big score. I got this impression from him the whole time that the business is failing, or they're losing business, or they're worried about losing the business that they seem to have inherited from their parents. And so the element I got out of him is that he seems to be really stressed out and worried that something is going to go wrong, or they could lose everything. And so he... Sure. Yeah, he has his, like... I'm going to chop this dragon up and make medicine out of him. And <laughs> is out of this moment. It's, it's out of this desperation that he's really worried that they're going to lose what they have. Because of that, he acts as the antagonist who's trying to catch Elliot and monetize him. But just to kind of build on what you said, Rob, um, the thing I liked about Carl Urban in this movie is that they don't, oh, at the end, he's he has a turn or at the end, it's revealed yeah. that he's actually a good guy or he has a hero's moment at the end. They pepper it through where there are key moments where they want to say he's not a bad guy like at yeah. this moment he's trying to help pete there's a later moment when they're trying to catch elliot and the kids show up when he goes out of his way to try to help the kids and he's yelling out get the kids out of here this is dangerous and he's yeah. like taking steps to protect people he's not particularly selfish mm -hmm. he just wants money <laughs> like he's just yeah. he, he just wants a big money score and he's taking steps to do that and he's not particularly maybe an animal lover but like those are the same thing as being a bad person you know you're on his side but he's portrayed as the villain so you're like well, because you know that elliot is a little puppy dog that everybody loves but from his perspective crazy old maurice has shown that there's a beast in the woods yeah. and he's yeah. gonna you know, lead everyone in there because 50 Frenchmen can't be wrong. I was trying to figure out when this was set and because I noticed that Wes Bentley drives away and doesn't put his seatbelt on and and then I went, oh, okay, this is supposed to be set in the 70s or 80s because it doesn't tell you that. It could be timeless, but it's also like, no, this is set in a different era. I took it to be 1977. To me, this took place the same year they made Pete's Dragon, the first one. I think you're probably right. That's probably the intention. They take Pete to the hospital and then... Uh, they got to shut down the scene, the logging site, because the cops got to be like, well, we found this boy in the woods. We got to do some investigation. Carl Urban uh, is like sending his crew home. Elliot wakes up and goes, where the hell's Pete? Knocks over a tree. And they're like, what the hell was that in the woods? And so they go out and they start hunting for whatever the fuck that big monster in the woods was. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. While they're doing that, which is like the whole second act of the movie. Yeah. Pete wakes up in a hospital bed. And so they're trying to find out where this kid came from, what happened to his family. And they're all standing outside the hallway talking. And while they do that, Pete wakes up and he immediately runs out the window. And we're treated to a sweet little vibes music video thing of Pete running around town. Um, yeah. It's awesome. I fucking loved it. <laughs> you know, complaining about the Candle in the Water music video shit. This is just a music video, but like, I fucking loved the vibes of this music video. Yeah, I agree. Because he's kind of meant to be feral and used to climbing trees and jumping around. All the stuff he's doing, like jumping around this urban setting is normal to him. But all the kids on the bus react to it like is the coolest fucking thing they've ever seen. Because it would be. Because he's basically inventing parkour. This is 1977. <laughs> Pete invents parkour. Yeah. Yeah, so the song is Nobody Knows by the Lumineers, which was released for this movie. I like it. I like the whole vibes of this. Every single moment of it. I'm just like, I don't even care what the plot of this movie is. I just want to let this movie wash over me. But he finally gets uh, caught by the cops um, because he runs into a back alley and there is a wall of wood which he can't climb. Because because he hasn't he hasn't perfected parkour yet. He can climb normal trees, but this has been milled wood that he can't climb. <laughs> <laughs> 
defeated by it. The loggers strike again. And there's a really tragic moment when Bryce Dallas Howard catches him, grabs him, and he starts howling like a yeah. wounded dog. And it's like, fucking hell. This is heart-wrenching. She says, it's okay, you don't have to be scared, like, I'll I'll take care of you. And then they drive back to their house listening to So Long Marianne by Leonard Cohen. It's awesome! Every single moment, I'm just like, thank you, instead of terrible songs, you get Leonard Cohen songs! I was like, when was the last time I saw a Leonard Cohen song in a movie that it wasn't Hallelujah? <laughs> Fuck yes! <laughs> this might be the only one. Yeah. <laughs> so then they go home and they listen to records, and she teaches them how to brush his teeth, and there's more vibes. At the same time, Carver Urban finds finds Elliot in the woods. He gets sneezed on and runs away. He goes back to town. Uh, Elliot follows the truck back into the city. He's looking for Pete back in the town and finds him at the house because Carl Urban basically drives up to Wes Bentley's house and says, "Uh, there's a dragon in them hills. Bag boy, there's a dragon out there. (laughs) And he's like, "Uh, no, I don't don't think so. Uh, You're insane. Uh, There's no such thing as dragons, even though we found a feral boy in the wood who literally says, yeah, I was living with a dragon. Described it the exact same as my future father-in-law described it, but nope, don't believe in dragons. (laughs) Despite the folklore and everyone talking about it, no, you can't be correct. Yeah. In this case, 50 Frenchmen can be wrong. (laughs) And then, so he see Elliot sees Pete getting read this bedtime story, the same one. And there's like, oh, actually, you know, I should leave him. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of it's sad. Hard like, to feel bad for the dragon. I gotta I gotta mention something here. I originally watched this uh, for the second time when I turned it on for the podcast to rewatch it with my girlfriend, and we got like 20 minutes into the movie, maybe around this part, and she couldn't watch it anymore. The movie was too sad. Like, she was openly weeping. She was like, I cannot watch this movie. It is too emotionally draining. Because it's a sad movie. There's lots of sad stuff in it. Like, it doesn't end sad, but it's a sad movie. Like, it opens with the kid's fucking parents dying. Gonna be eaten by the Gorons. (laughs) Yeah, he's howling because he wants his friend. Yeah, it's really sad. But anyway, I revel in the misery of others, so I was quite happy to keep watching. I have a few notes here that say um, it was right after the So Long Marianne. I was like, I think I really like this movie. I was like, this story makes sense. I was I was sold. <laughs> I was bought into it. <laughs> There's little to no cannibalism. Yeah, 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 yeah. The next morning, Bryce Dallas Howard has promised Pete that she will take him back home and he can introduce her to his dragon. Now, Bryce Dallas Howard doesn't believe that he has a dragon, and she's saying this mostly to calm him down because he's quite upset to be in a strange new place. But during the night, he has some crayons, they're entertaining him with kid stuff, and he draws a picture of his friend Elliot, and she looks at it, and it looks exactly like the dragon that her father drew. Yeah. And she's like, wow, either Pete's a really good artist for being a feral child, or my father's a really bad artist, because <laughs> these are equivalent drawings. But she takes it to her father, and she's like, this looks exactly the same. And he's like, yeah, because I saw a dragon, I've told you for so many yeah. decades, you do not believe me. She's supposed to to take Pete to social services who are going to take um, jurisdiction over him because this strange boy was found. Instead, she decides to pick up her father and drive into the woods where they're going to go see where Pete had been living. We already talked about it, but this is actually the scene in, in Dad's dragon conspiracy room that Bryce Dallas Howard braves into to find the drawing, where you get the, <laughs> what I saw that day changed me because I see magic in the world, which, as we said, is a beautiful speech. Is this really nice line, too, where she says, you know, I think that's something I would have seen, and her dad just says, well, you missed Pete. Yeah, so good. This was also the point for me where my brain clicked, and I went, wait a minute, this movie takes place in the Reign of Fire universe. <laughs> 
Oh my God! It's the 1970s. Robert Redford found the dragons in America that have been nesting for hundreds of years, and he was probably the only one that was ready for it. So there's a third Reign of Fire movie in the trilogy. Yeah, where uh, a Christian Bale and Robert Redford team up. No, Robert Redford trained Van Zandt because they're like Coffee Town, Kentucky, or something. So they're from the states, right? Well, Washington's a long ways from Kentucky. They're in America. But then again, this this is the Reign of Fire universe where they go back and forth from London to Scotland in 20 minutes, so... Yeah, yeah that's right. Right, right, yeah. 50 miles this way. Listen, if you're wondering <laughs> what we're talking about, go listen to the Reign of Fire episode. Yeah. True believers, editor's note, etc., etc. Like, he's saying to his daughter, I wish that you could see some of this magic, right? And she's just, as you said, she's like, that's nice, it's a nice sentiment, but I don't like i would have noticed something you know well they go out they go to pete's home he lives in a sweet little tree cave treehouse thing he's like swiss family robinson his own little home sweet little that's not little buddy that is an amazing fucking tree yeah, fort with a cave below it elliot built pete like the sweetest tree fort fuck yeah what was actually kind of fun about it it was it's really quick for one shot and i was like it's the mast playground from peach dragon oh with the yeah. ladders and the branches yeah. and everything. That is cool. Oh, I was like, that is so subtle. And you would have had to have like yeah. literally just watched this the day before like I did to get it. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah, you're right. Pete takes them back into the woods and finds their house. And Elliot had flown back home because he was sad that he wasn't with Pete and went to bed in his cave. Just like in Pete's Dragon 1977, Elliot can turn invisible. Yeah. However, they do do a single shot where they make it clear, at least in this film, that Elliot just has an extremely extremely advanced camouflage ability where he can make his fur look exactly like whatever is behind him. He's got to go invisible, Sean, because... Well, that's what I'm saying. They put it in as a conceit. Yeah. At the beginning, they're like, oh, it's camouflage, yeah, look. The first time they do it, yeah. But then later on, they're just like, no, he just... Whoop, he yeah. just turns invisible. After they do that, they don't worry about it anymore. They're yeah. just like, we said camouflage, assume camouflage, we're just going to make him invisible now. He has like a twinkle effect to it. It's, like, gorgeous. It's, like, him in the woods, and it's kind of, like, sunlight coming through, and it's, like, twinkling, and you can see it's so beautiful. You're, like, everything about this dragon is magical. So, they bring up the dragon, and Bryce Dallas Howard and Robert Redford and the little girl are, like, holy shit, a dragon. And then they go to pet the dragon. It's a wonderful moment. And then Carl Urban shows up with his gang of... Loggers. Loggers with guns. Out-of-work loggers with guns. And they shoot the dragon. With Tranks. And they're just like, thanks for leading us to the dragon. And they shoot it with Tranks. Elliot tries to fly away, uh, but he's tr so tranked up that he can't. And he crashes and destroys their home. And it's so sad. It's worse than Avatar when they destroy Home Tree. I felt for this this one tree. Like, <laughs> Well, that's because um, um, killing one dragon tree is a tragedy. <laughs> Killing an entire species is a statistic, so. Gotcha. Yep. I'm telling you right now, as I'm riding around on Benedict Cumberbatch, I'm thinking about that tree, and not home tree. So uh, then they just cut to a dragon being on the back of a flatbed trailer. Uh, let's just ignore how the fuck they got him out of the woods. It's a logging truck. They have their park not too far away. They have their machines. They've got their loaders. They've got excavators. I think that counts as torch duck. <laughs> That would have taken days, man. No, it wouldn't. It would have taken days. They just keep popping him with tranquilizer darts. Listen, Rob, is it Torch Talk with Rob or is it Torch Talk with Bob? All right? <laughs> Defer to the expert. All right. I'm sorry. I made a note now, again, about a love in the production side. I love the fucking trucks. 
all of the trucks. I don't know what it was, but it fit the aesthetic so perfectly. Like, Carl Urban's truck is amazing in this film. Wes Bentley's truck, it's great. He's got this big dually. I loved it. And it's just like, the even the colors of the truck worked perfectly with the production design. I loved it. I also like that in this universe, people tee to their keys and like put them like in the visor above the... the 70s. Yeah, I was like, I was like, okay, so they, they <laughs> tee to the keys. That was just a thing. So they take the dragon back to the mill, the Millhaven mill. The, the titular mill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they have two things, a mill and a dragon. Wes Bentley shows up to the forest because he's like, where the fuck did... My family, my daughter, my brother, my whole business. Why is everyone <laughs> in my life in the woods? And somehow he knows. Uh, he goes and finds his daughter in the woods. And he goes, what the fuck was this? This is after Elliot is tranked. And uh, Carl Urban says, this is the Millhaven dragon. I just caught him. He just had a big win. He's been very worried. He's overstressed. And he just had a big win. And he's just like, fuck yeah, I just caught me a fucking dragon. And then he instantly becomes Tim Conway from the Shaggy DA and is like, people will pay money to see this dog. This is my ticket out of here. You can keep the mill. Presumably step two was then get him a talk show. So, (laughs) oh fuck, I need to explain that reference. Listener, true believer, editor's note, that's a reference to the Shaggy DA. Go listen to the Shaggy DA episode of the podcast. Uh, They call the cops because, of course, you call the cops when you have a dragon. You're in a small town. You're like, "Uh, should I call the government? Like, we found a dragon. Who do I call but they call the local police department homeland security didn't exist yet yeah exactly (laughs) so they all go outside when the cops show up all of the loggers conveniently and the kid pete and the girl forget her name west bentley's daughter i think it's natalie bad girl Bad girl. Bad girl. girl And uh, Pete sneak in. They free Elliot from his chains, but uh, he's too trank to fly. And Robert Redford busts down the door and says, oh, no, kids, I got this. I'm going to drive you guys. And in yet another homage to 1970s Disney films, this film ends with a car chase. So that's actually pretty funny. Robert Redford drives this big logging truck with a dragon on the back all the way back to the woods while Carl Urban and his loggers are in pursuit. They eventually get ahead of Robert Redford's truck and try to block them off while they're on a bridge over the biggest chasm I've ever seen in my life. It's it's the chasm between Canada and uh, (laughs) the States. (laughs) That is historically where the border was set. Canada is the Gerudo Valley of North America. Yeah. <laughs> Big old chasm between us and the States. And yeah, so there's this, he gets in front of him, uh, but the brakes stop working in the truck. Because when Elliot's waking up and he's not tied down, he, the brake line blows on the truck. Basically playing a game of chicken. The shot of Carl Urban standing in front of the truck with his hand out being like, stop! And then there's just this semi coming at them with the dragon on top. And I'm like, what are you going to do, Carl Urban? Like, you're about to get run over, you idiot. <laughs> he's got such a high from catching the dragon that he just thinks he's invincible. Robert Redford's truck plows into the loggers' trucks. In fact, forces yep. it off of the bridge where it crashes into the chasm below. Thankfully, nobody was in the truck. They all dived out just in time. But it wrecks Robert Redford's truck, and Elliot is still too tranked, really, to fly away and escape, while everyone, including the cops, are in hot pursuit, and they're now approaching the bridge. 
And so Elliot, though, has just enough energy to jump onto the top of the bridge because he feels like Pete is in danger as well because all of these people are chasing him and Pete. Yep. So he climbs onto the top of the bridge and finally, like any other dragon, blows fire at everyone approaching onto the bridge below, including now Bryce Dallas Howard and Bag Boy, who are in a truck. But Elliot doesn't really know that they're the good guys. That shot, though, I I mean, we got to talk about it. It's fucking badass. And what I liked about the reveal is they don't, he doesn't just roast apples. He doesn't just like blow smoke out of his nose. He doesn't get drunk and turn into a walking Molotov cocktail. They save the fire. Yeah. And when he breathes it, it fucking counts. It is so intense. Like, it's not a little flame. It's a dragon. It's this wide shot of a dragon with its, like, wings up on top of this bridge, this huge wide shot, and just this inferno of napalm is just spewing at this bridge and immediately, like, starts cracking the pavement and melting the metal. Like, immediately. That's how fucking dangerous it was. And this entire buildup, he's playing this, like, innocent little puppy dog who hasn't really done anything and then it's like oh this is a fucking dragon this is an actual fucking dragon it's such a good shot it's such a good moment we might not have made it clear up till now but this is the climax of the movie we've run through it pretty quickly partially because we're recording two of these in a row but also partially because like I said this movie doesn't have much plot it's mostly vibes yeah because he's blowing this fire at everyone pursuing he's destroying the bridge it's cracking it's about to fall apart and bryce dallas howard and bag boy are on the bridge their (laughs) truck starts falling into a hole that has now appeared in the center of the bridge they're about to fall into the chasm carl urban gets his hero's moment where he sees that his brother and future sister-in-law are in danger and they're going to fall out so he runs out onto the bridge braving this fiery inferno to try to grab the truck to stop it from falling over so he gets his Captain America in Civil War moment where he like one arms an entire truck. <laughs> yeah, the helicopter. It's pretty great though. It's a great moment. Again, Carl Urban's not a bad guy. He just doesn't like dragons. And <laughs> we can all identify. Yeah. Pete and Robert Redford and uh Natalie bag boy's daughter bag girl are all screaming at elliot to stop and so elliot obviously is a little too consumed in his whole fire thing but after he does notice that everyone is screaming at him to stop he looks at pete and then he looks down and he sees that oh shit actually those people are good i guess yeah (laughs) and so just as bag boy and Bryce Dallas Howard fall off of this crumbling bridge. Elliot dives into the chasm below and at the last minute saves them. So he gets his hero's moment. And then Pete and Elliot fly off. Basically just as a plot conceit to explain why the cops don't arrest anyone, I guess. I don't know. So they go go back to the treehouse and... The treehouse is destroyed. It's also this metaphor for their life has been uprooted and they can't live as they've lived. Yeah, they can't go back. Yeah. And Elliot has this really nice moment of he shows him the book and he points to the picture book. It's really nice because he's talking about Pete, but he's talking about himself. Because as you've now learned, if you've listened to the lyrics of the song, you're like, oh, there's more. Not only has Pete found his family, Elliot now has to go and find his. And mm-hmm. the way the shot's kind of framed is it looks like he's pointing at the dog. So you almost think like, oh, you could maybe he'll stay with the family and he can be the pet. But Elliot's like, no, I... I I have to go. I have to do the same thing. They have to go their separate ways. And Elliot flies Pete back to Bryce Dallas Howard's house and drops him off where they all rush out to embrace him. And then Elliot flies north to find his own family. And then that's the end of the movie, except we get another voiceover from Robert Redford, 
who's like, that's the end of the movie. Thanks for watching, everybody. <laughs> he's like, except, uh, you know, uh, there is a little, like, uh, post-credits teaser scene. Uh, and the post-credits teaser scene is, you. this movie was called Pete's Dragon. Well, the sequel, Pete's Dragons, plural, with a dollar sign instead of an S. Because they show a little clip where the whole family drives north to Canada. And they're like, oh, it's cold yeah. and nobody's up here. Except these dragons. <laughs> They find a whole bunch of dragons and everybody's happy because Elliot found his family too. So it's an actual happy ending. The Robert Redford speech, again, is actually really nice. He says he doesn't tell the story anymore. Yeah. He wants Elliot to be happy too. And he wants Elliot to have that peace and closure. And I kind of liked it. He says like, there's one boy who knows and like, maybe he'll tell you. I was getting chills. You just saying that thinking back to this movie, like seriously, this movie's great. All right. Well, (sighs) Rob, what did you think of the movie? Did you perhaps think it was great? (laughs) It's great. This movie's great. You know, it wins you over with its charm. You can't not like Elliot in this film. He's just this innocent little puppy that happens to be, you know, 40, 50 feet high and and can breathe fire. Yeah. Yeah. Performances were great. You're conflicted about the bad guy because he's not really a bad guy. Bag Boy has a sweet beard. (laughs) Um, They are like such a hot family. Like, who was their dad? Right. You got Carl Urban and Wes Bentley? Come on. I put this at uh, number six. Wow. This movie cracked the top ten for me. It didn't crack the top five. It was close. I forgot how good and how much I liked this movie the first time I saw it. Rob, this movie's better than D2 The Mighty Ducks. (laughs) (laughs) Which is your number four, (laughs) might I add. Uh, Yep, I know. I moved it around a little bit. Uh, So it's... Muppet Christmas Carol, Die Hard, Return to Oz, D2 the Mighty Ducks, Hocus Pocus, and then 2P2 Dragon. <sighs> All right. Uh, Bob, <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> you know what's funny is I put it at number six, too. Wow. Yeah! Um, I, when I kind of watched it, like, I was like, did I love this movie? And then we talked about it, and I'm like, no, I did. I loved it. It was really good. It was... Yeah. There are movies that could be remade into something better, and this is a great example of that. Bobby, you and I put this at number six. Remember when we watched The Lion King 2019? Sean put it at number six. And to me... So this is at the bottom of Sean's list. <laughs> so to me, this is like what you said. There's a kernel of something. A, 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 a dragon, a boy and his dragon, right? And they completely changed the story and made it great. Whereas in The Lion King, I didn't like it at all. But Sean found that kernel that this is a sad story about Scar. <laughs> a personal note for me, too, is I'm a sucker for hero stories where they'll sacrifice themselves or do something that hurts them. And I don't mind admitting I got a bit emotional at the end of this film because this, like... Little kid in me was like so sad for Elliot, and it was so beautiful. He like at the end they do the callback with the howl, right? Like mm-hmm. he says, "I don't want to leave you," yeah. and he's like holding onto his uh, Elliot's arm and like crying. Exactly, it's so sad. All right, I guess I gotta, I gotta rank <laughs> it. All right, <laughs> <laughs> gonna be like, well, sorry, it's number forty. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw this in theaters. I loved it. I texted Rob and I was like, "Holy fuck, the new Pete's Dragon's yeah. really fucking good." Um, I hadn't seen it since though. I had been meaning to rewatch it though because I always, I was like, I should rewatch that yeah. movie. It's super good. I hadn't seen it till now. I rewatched it and I was like, "Oh, this is even better. This is even better than I remember. This is a good fucking movie." And then I skimmed through it again this morning just to like get my notes together. Yep. It's like a reverse Avatar. Like every time I watched Avatar, I like hated it more where I was like, this is generally a bad movie actually. Every time I watched yep. it, it's worse. Uh, every time I watched this movie, I was just like, this is, I fucking love this movie. Um, I love the vibes. I love everything about it. I agree with everything you guys said. I put this at number four 
Mm, okay. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So this goes yeah. right above Darby O'Gill and the Little People for me. Another like vibe heavy film. Yeah. The first one, as you can tell by going back and listening to that episode, is terrible. But this remake yep. is awesome. Unfortunately, this is kind of the counterpoint to uh, all those other live action remakes that Disney made where they remade Beauty and the Beast and they are remaking The Little Mermaid, where those movies don't need to be remade. And no. they are remade into inferior films at best, with the exception of Lion King 2019, where I'm the only person in the world <laughs> other than John Favreau, who loves <laughs> the remake, apparently. But putting that aside... Jungle Book's supposed to be quite good as well. I actually haven't seen that one. Jungle Book's good. Yeah, I, that one's okay. I'm just talking about the general... Okay, I'm talking about yeah. the Beauty and the Beast remake here. I'm talking about the Aladdin remake. Aladdin was fun, though. I, I mean, it's not as good as Aladdin. Didn't he remake, but it was fine. They're not as good. I, I see the point you're making, whereas, like, Aladdin's just kind of, like, middle of the road fine. It's not good. It's not bad it just is it's not it's not the same and I, I i agree with you that that there's a lot of things being remade that they they're just like you're like just leave this alone it's fine but the thing is the beauty and the beast remake and the aladdin remake both made over a billion dollars yeah <laughs> jesus christ this movie unfortunately had a budget of 65 million had a box office worldwide of 143 not a bomb but didn't make money i know it's tragic pete's dragon is known but not really talked about it's not it's not Aladdin. It's not Beauty it's and the Beast. Yeah. And that's yeah. exactly it. It's like people are like, why the fuck do I want to go see this remake of a shitty film? And that's the problem. Like, that's the catch-22. Because for these Disney remakes, you can remake a bad film and it's pretty easy to make it better. I mean, not necessarily as much better as this film is. Like, this is an excellent film. But, like, even yeah. a mediocre film would probably be better than Pete's Dragon 1977. It just doesn't make money because people don't care about the franchise. Whereas Beauty and the Beast remake makes money hand over fist despite being yeah. vastly inferior. I always just get a little bit of a frustration whenever people are like, why do Disney keep remaking? It's like, because they make a billion and a half dollars. Uh, yeah. Like, why do you say why? Like, yeah. it's clearly why. Because they know people are going to see them. They know people will talk about them. They know it'll be in the news when they announce mm -hmm. that Dwayne Johnson is doing a Moana remake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was in the news. Dwayne Johnson announces Moana remake. It was like on CNN. And it's like, that's why they do it. Announcing a Dwayne Johnson million dollar duck remake is not going to get the same yeah. kind of hype <laughs> yeah. that a Dwayne Johnson Moana remake is going to make. And it's not going to make the same amount of money, despite the fact that a Dwayne Johnson million dollar duck remake would be hilarious. Is impossible to be worse than the original it's a slam dunk that that is better than the first one this was an example where they took something and made it good and i was like oh this is interesting i could talk about this like there are things to talk about in this movie this caught my interest whereas they're not interested in doing that they're interested in the like oh let's remake a cartoon that came out barely a decade ago with someone who everyone's talking about because he's hurt that he was in a bad movie that was his choice because <laughs> he destroyed the dceu <laughs> single-handedly Speaking of Moana, what else came out in 2016? Oh, look at that. Moana. Jesus. So I just want to point out <laughs> that Disney is now remaking a film that came out the same year as this Pete's Dragon remake. That's insanity. It's less than 10 years ago. That's how quick the cycle is moving now. So in 2016, they released The Finest Hours, which is the Chris Pine takes on a perfect storm movie. Casey Affleck, too. Oh, is that also Casey Affleck? Yeah, it's Chris Pine and Casey Affleck. It's one of those My Dad movies. My dad saw that movie, and he texted me. He was like, you should watch The Finest Hour. It's a good movie. Apparently, it's not a bad movie. Like, apparently, it's actually a decent film. My dad said it was good. He doesn't have bad taste. He just has predictable taste. 
No, that's what I was he, saying, he Sean. Dad I was saying your dad texted me, too. He said it was a good movie. <laughs> your dad went around town when we were kids telling people to watch FX. FX. And my dad texts you to watch The Finest Hours. Um, yeah. True Believers, if you're wondering, that's a reference to our cocktail episode, Editor's Note. What else came out in 2016 other than The Finest Hours? Zootopia. Man, that was a big success. Speaking of John Favreau's remakes, The Jungle Book came out in 2016. Wow. A movie called Tinny, colon, The Movie, which I was like, what the fuck is that? I looked into it. It's an Argentinian movie produced by the Walt Disney Company that is a spinoff of an Argentinian TV show called Violetta. Fuck if I know what that is, hmm. but I don't think it's available anywhere in North America. This is in that brief period of time, that brief respite in which Disney was winding down Touchstone, but hadn't yet bought Fox. And so there actually aren't that many Disney movies in yeah. 2016, <laughs> thankfully, mm -hmm. so I can get through this pretty quickly. The rest of it, Captain America Civil War, the first movie in which a man one-arms a very large <laughs> vehicle that's about to <laughs> fall off into a chasm <sighs> below. That was the last of the leading up to Infinity War movies I saw in theaters. But what did you think about him curling a helicopter? Come on. I mean, as Chris Evans worded it himself, it was good bicep porn. Okay, at least you agree with us on that one. It's Chris Evans. On the scale of Chris's, he's at least number one or number two. Oh, he's easily number one. I guess Pine Pine and him are battling for number one, right? He and Pine are back and forth. Like, yeah. Hemsworth is good, and due to oversaturation, Pratt like, shouldn't be on that list anymore. Like, he's easily at the bottom. <laughs> or oversaturation, if you will. Speaking of oversaturation, uh, next on the list is Alice Through the Looking Glass. Oh, gross. Bit too much Johnny Depp. Then we got Finding Dory, the Pixar Finding Nemo sequel. Then we got Steven Spielberg's The BFG, that... Big fucking guy. I thought for some I was like, is that you, McGregor? I was like, no, he was in Jack the Giant Slayer. I have seen Jack the Giant Slayer. I have not seen the BFG. So the very final Touchstone release came out in 2016. The Light Between Oceans, a Michael Fassbender lighthouse keeper movie. So I assume that was also a remake of Pete's Dragon 1977. Yeah, that was Lampy's backstory. Wait the fuck up. Guess who is in The Light Between Oceans? The Rock. Casey Affleck. FX himself, Brian Brown. Wow. <laughs> wow, this is really all coming together. It's almost like we had it planned, true believers. <laughs> Queen of Cotway, African chess player. It's supposed to be very good. It, like Pete's Dragon, came out in 2016, got amazing reviews. Nobody saw it, but I kind of yeah. want to see Queen of Cotway. Doctor Strange. Bobby hasn't seen it because it's Marvel. Moana, uh, we already mentioned... Growing Up Wild, another Disney nature movie. Ha-ho, look at him go! And then finally, at the end of the year, two fucking big movies. Rogue One. Nice. And then Dangal, which is a Hindi movie starring Amar Khan and is one of the biggest films of all time. It made like hundreds of millions of dollars really? in both India and China. Not available on Disney+. Plus. I still find it amazing that that was a Disney production. That was the year that was 2016. Thank you for joining us, listeners, for our two-part episodes on Pete's Dragon. Let's all wave goodbye to Bobby once again as he flies off to make, presumably, Avatar 3. Bobby rides Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> that sounds like a porn parody. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've been very patient. Is my ban up? Yes, Rob, your ban is your up. Your ban is up. Yes! <laughs> you can finally choose another movie. What are we watching next week, Rob? Okay, so, promised I would pick a good movie, okay? Yes, you did. I'm not making us watch 
some Disney Channel, Cheetah Girls 3, or Teen Beach 2. The more you build up to this, the more I think it's going to be terrible. The Even Stevens Rides Again, or whatever it is. <laughs> Beans Rides Again. <laughs> yeah, Beans Rides Again. Even Stevens Goes to Monte Carlo. Even more Stevens. I am making us watch one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid and in high school. We're watching Big Trouble in Little China. <gasps> oh, wait, you said in Little China? You're not Yeah, it's Allen? not Big Trouble with Tim Allen. <laughs> it's the other Big Trouble movie. Speaking of movies, The Rock has tried to remake. <laughs> I've watched it so many times that I've gotten kind of oversaturated in it, and I don't know if I'm actually... I haven't watched it in, like, probably five years. I don't know if I'm going to like it as much. Rob, you're cutting out the part where there somewhere in the ether is a photograph of you rolling around in your bed with, like, 12 copies of Big Trouble in Little China on DVD because you... <laughs> cleared out the future shop shelf buying a copy for everybody you knew for christmas yep and when the clerk looked at you and said you're really buying all of these you responded yeah this was all you had Uh (laughs) and the guy said let me check and went in the back and found a few more copies that i bought (laughs) (laughs) oh man so when you say it's your favorite movie you're kind of underselling it. All right, listeners, tune in next week when we're going to watch Rob's favorite movie, Big Trouble in Little China. Until then, signing off, what do we got to do? Uh, I don't know. Is there a way to say the podcast wore tennis shoes, but just vibing? Like, uh, it's just a vibe? Okay, let's <laughs> let's just sit here for a second and vibe, okay? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, that was good. I was See you next it. time. That's the show. If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at thepodcastwartennisshoes at gmail.com. We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at podwar. That's at P-O-D-W-O-R-E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. We hope you tune in next time. Thanks. BFG. <laughs> That's now the opening of the of the episode. Just you saying that. <laughs> Just me saying the BFG.